everyone. This is UCL Careers Podcast, Future Talk. And my name is Amy Lorenko, Senior Careers Consultant at UCL. On this podcast, which is powered by UCL Minds, we will be talking with professionals in different sectors about their career journeys and insights in relation to employability topics. This series is packed with guests who are changemakers and innovators in their respective industries and was created by the engineering careers team to help our students and graduates find out more about various professional experiences. Each episode will have a guest who will share their professional insights and provide valuable information relating to careers. The episodes will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud on a weekly basis. I am so pleased to be able to introduce our guest, Yulia Ferroli. She is a cloud solution architect for data and AI at Microsoft. She's been with the company since 2019 when she joined as an intern. She has a Bachelor of Science in Data Science and Knowledge Engineering. Her passion for data science and technology can be seen through her creating her fantastic YouTube channel where she shares valuable insights she's gained from her academic and professional experiences. In addition to this, she has spoken regularly at events about the importance of encouraging more women in the technology sector. So welcome to the podcast, Julia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Really excited to have my first podcast appearance ever. I am very excited as well to be hosting my first podcast. This is a new experience for me. Should be fun then. Yeah. (laughs) So we have a couple of questions for you today, um, which would be great to hear about your experience. And the first is, what was the application process like for you when you first applied to Microsoft for an internship? It was uh, quite a while ago, but I still remember it pretty distinctly. I don't think I've ever been so stressed in my life until that point uh, of the actual interview. Uh, But to start maybe a bit from the beginning, how that came about. So I was enrolled in a master program at the time, and I had a part-time job at a different company. And I was trying to manage it all at the same time. But I thought I was quite happy with the place I was in. But, you know, always open for different uh, ideas. So I actually got a message from a recruiter on LinkedIn uh, who was working for Microsoft saying, hey, there's these uh, internships that are going to be available. I think you have the right profile. Would you like to apply? And my first instinct was, no, I have a job. Why would I want to be an intern again? But then, you know, it is Microsoft. And I thought that's pretty cool company. And I would probably regret it if I don't actually try it out. So I messaged her back and I said, sure, I'll, I'll do it just to see what happens. And I won't, uh, yeah, I won't count on it or anything. And then I had like two phone interviews with different recruiters. And then I was invited to an assessment day with a bunch of other students from different universities in the Netherlands. And um, yeah, we were all going to the office together. I got to see the office, which I didn't even know they had an office in the Netherlands. They have one in most of every country, really. Uh, But I thought it was kind of a US-based thing. So then we had the assessment together and uh, we had a bunch of different challenges and hoops to jump through. And in the end, when uh, I got an offer for that, I quit my other job. And then soon after, I actually also quit my master's degree since it wasn't really, um, I wasn't learning the things that I was so passionate about. And then seeing that Microsoft, for example, didn't care so much if I finished my degree or not. Uh, yeah, I basically completely changed my whole uh, life path around with that opportunity. Wow, that's amazing. So it has like that kind of 
opportunity of being headhunted almost like really led you to sort of changing paths yeah exactly like I never thought about it I mean I think I thought about it when I was younger like oh my god Microsoft's such a cool company maybe one day I'll work for it but I didn't think of it as oh I could try for it now or anytime soon I was just happy to go with uh, what I was going with uh, and then yeah just one message saying what about supplying and then everything kind of changed so I took uh, this jump into the unknown and it really paid off uh, thankfully yeah that's that's an incredible story um, that's really interesting and so what was then the process like from from the internship to then being sort of a permanent hire yeah, that's, uh, it was, um, I think I can say it was quite competitive. I think anyone would imagine that it would be. Um, so the first uh, interview and stuff to be an intern was, uh, we were all students. We were all, you know, doing it individually. And then we had a few challenges together in the assessment day. But then out of the interns that were selected, kind of, we knew that some of us could go on to have a full-time position or they'll have external hires or, yeah, it was a lot of, uh, things that could go a lot of different ways at that point. And um, thankfully during my internship, I had the freedom to kind of go around and explore different roles and work with different people within the company uh, and see kind of how I fit there, what kind of roles seem more interesting than others and what I enjoy doing. Um, so thankfully I had like a six month trial basically to see, okay, what do I like about Microsoft? What do they like about me? And is this where I want to be? And I think pretty early on, the answer was yes, I, I love this company. Um, so then it took me a while to narrow it down to which role I wanted to do, which in the end turned out to be the cloud solution architect, which I had never heard of before. So there's no way I would have applied to be a cloud solution architect from the outside. Uh, so I thought it was very interesting to have like an open mind and just be like, okay, this role sounds interesting because of the responsibilities of it, even though the title tells me nothing. Um, and then the process to get that uh, kind of changes every year. So when, when I did it, it was more of a subtle thing, like, okay, if your manager likes you and if uh, you, you know you have the right requirements and you can apply internally, which was different than how they do it now, I think. But uh, it was kind of a seamless-ish transition for me uh, it wasn't for others, uh, but luckily I was there at the right time and they were also looking for my profile. So it worked out. Fab. So it sounds like you had to do sort of uh, sort of an internal recruitment process for the for the actual role you ended up in, which sounded like it was a bit less intense than the internship recruitment process. Yes and no, it was different. Um, I'm not sure I would say it was less intense. It definitely felt quite intense at the time as well. Um, especially because yeah all of us interns were friends right so we all wanted everyone to stay but then of course not everyone had the right match and we were very diverse profiles so it made sense that we went quite separate ways um, but yeah it was more nice in a way that you could just talk to anyone in there right when you're not in a company already maybe it's harder to contact the people to get more information but since we were already basically employees it was really nice that I could just message anyone and shadow them for a day and see for myself, you know, if, if it's a good fit or not. And then they also got to see my work firsthand. So it was easier, I think, than applying from the outside. And, and was it that shadowing that encouraged you then to choose the sort of cloud solution architect or, or was it something else? Yeah, so indeed it was the shadowing and realizing what kind of work gave me the most energy. 
which was not the role that I was technically hired for, uh, to be honest. And I was lucky that my manager gave me complete freedom to be like, okay, you are this awesome like data scientist. Maybe we needed you for a different kind of role when we hired you as an intern. But if you know you could bring a lot of value there, so why don't you go hang out with some of you know the architects and see if you can help them in some way? And I did that, and I really really enjoyed it. So uh, because of my manager allowing me kind of free reign to figure it out and uh, to work with those people, I realized that yeah, okay, that's the kind of job that I that I want. I want to be like one of these guys uh, more than my previous role. And also the fact that my manager would do that, I think shows a lot about the kind of culture that they have. And that was one of the big reasons that I wanted to stay um, because everything was so, everyone was nice. I know it sounds cliche, but like everyone was just so encouraging and nice and wanting to help me. And they put a lot of focus on me learning and figuring out what gives me energy rather than, okay, you have these numbers to hit. I don't care what you're doing. just you know, get your targets. Uh, it was definitely like that. So I, I really liked it. So your manager was really invested there in your sort of learning and development, which is so important. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I was going to ask about your master's because that's really interesting. Like how was mm-hmm. that decision to sort of stop doing your master's? Yeah, I never thought I would do that. Uh, when I think about it on paper, it still to me sounds pretty bad and um yeah, I, I overthink it so often when people ask me, you know, like about your education or if you have to fill it in somewhere. It's always like, yeah, actually, I don't have a master. Funny that you should ask. Um, I grew up thinking that, you know, grades are very important and where you go to school is very important. And, and it is, of course, I learned so much from, from my bachelor, for example. Um, but then I, I made the mistake of maybe not tailoring my degree uh, in, the, in the most well-researched way. And my master was actually um, more meant, I think, for people from different profiles who wanted to get into data science rather than an advanced data science master. So it felt a bit redundant uh, and the courses were something that I've done before. So I was kind of, you know, going through it quite easily, getting better grades than I did ever in my bachelor and thinking, oh, this is quite, quite relaxed and chill. Um, But then I, when I was starting my internship, and I was also like working as a study advisor and I was trying to do all these things at the same time. And my energy was being pulled in like seven different directions. And I realized out of all the things that I'm doing, the fact that I'm, you know, just cruising through these classes for easy grades is not beneficial in any way to my development. And it's kind of a waste of my time uh, because I'm learning so much from just hands-on on the job and they don't think that the diploma matters. So I would only do it if the, if the content mattered and the content wasn't the great. So, you know, everything kind of culminated into me realizing you can just quit if you want to, which, you know, was such a wild concept, like being a dropout basically. But um, I think it was one of the best decisions I made for my career actually. Yeah, it definitely sounds like um, that was yeah a good decision, and then you kind of put it all out like that. And the fact that you know out of all the things that you were doing, being split into a million different directions, that that wasn't kind of giving you any any value. But yeah, that I guess it was hard to kind of come to terms with, as you put it, like being a oh, yeah. being a dropout. But <laughs> yeah, like looking back at it, it was a good decision. But living through it and telling my parents, "Hey, remember that education you're paying for and you're sending me abroad for? I'm not going to do it anymore." But it's for the best. Don't worry. Um, yeah, but it worked out. So I, I definitely learned to to take more risks and kind of build my own path uh, rather than stick to what 
you know, you would do by default or what makes the most sense on paper. And I'm very happy that I learned that. Um, we saw um, that you previously worked alongside your studies as a teaching assistant for a short while, mm-hmm. as well as having your internship that you mentioned earlier, um, part-time in an IT and consultancy company in the Netherlands. Um, so do you think there are particular differences in the working environment between a smaller company versus a more established one like Microsoft? Yes, um, definitely. I think there are quite a lot of differences between how it works. Um, I think so I, I was doing my internship through my studies and then that turned into a part-time job at this consultancy company. So that was kind of my first and only job I ever knew, um, which was a really great company. It was very small. So we were like a few, a few people in the data science department, a lot of young students kind of defining the department as we went, uh, which was an interesting experience as well. And I think I knew pretty early on that I would want to work for a big corporation. <laughs> um, just, I really liked the idea that, you know, it's such a big company that everyone knows and they get to work with the biggest customers out there right? and the biggest clients and be at the edge of innovation. Uh, whereas maybe if you work for a smaller company, it's a bit harder to, to compete uh, with the big names for those kind of consultancy jobs. Uh, but I, I did like the flexibility it gave me because, yeah, we're a few people. So it was easier to take on different types of jobs that maybe you wouldn't do if you have a very defined role. So I did a bit of marketing and I did a bit of business uh, decisions and I I was a project lead when I was like 20, which I thought was insane that they kind of let me, you know, go along with this project and write up my own documentation and pretend I understand what any of it, uh, you know, really means. But I I learned really fast from it. So my idea was, you know, also the reason that I hesitated when, when the Microsoft thing came along, I thought... No, maybe it's better to work at this small company where I could take on all these extra responsibilities and become more, um, yeah, have more responsibility and be more, I don't know if important is the word, but just, you know, climb higher because there's so few people and there's so much to be done. Whereas maybe if I go at a big corporation, you know, I'll be an intern or it'll be forever until I get people to trust me more because there's so many more other people who are smart there. Uh, So I was a bit afraid of that. Thankfully, it didn't happen. Um, But I do still think that it's, you know, you can be uh, a jack of all trades if you work for a small company and you can learn a lot of more practical things than if you're at a bigger company. But at the same time, it's hard to find people to learn from. So for a bigger company, there's always going to be seniors who've done this role for, yeah, some of them longer than I've been alive. They've been an architect so, of course, they've seen so much and it's so great that I can ask so many people. Whereas at the smaller place, it was hard to find someone that could, you know, walk me through it or that I could shadow, like I said earlier. So, you know, there's there's pros and cons to both. Um, and as far as the teaching assistant one is concerned, um, that was a very scary job to do. Uh, I took it on when I was in, an intern at Microsoft because I also wanted to have a second source of income. Because I went from you know part-time job to intern, which we all know is not really the, the best paid industry in the world. Uh, so I was also a teaching assistant running around uh, giving lessons in linear algebra and grading papers on the train. Uh, so that didn't really feel like a job because it was, yeah, it was just like the classes that I went to, but reversed. I was just putting things like math formulas on a whiteboard and, and giving people grades. So I, I rarely think of that as a career. I don't think I would have been very fit for academics or for research because, yeah, like I said, I really enjoy the big corporate environment with 
a lot of um, different roles and businesses and and seeing how different industries work so Amazing. That's a really um, good summary of kind of the differences. I think you're really saying that um, in the small company, you've got like lots of responsibility and variety and you were able to like learn so much. But whereas as a big company, um, you've got that network to draw upon and loads of experience, um, people to ask questions about, which you might not get in a small company. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I love that you just don't see the the teaching assistant is even a job. It's like, wow, that definitely is a job, a hard yeah, job. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that the, the teachers, for sure, I would say that my job was more, I would go to university like uh, once a week and help people with their homework and like recap what the teacher has taught them, which was definitely hard work uh, for sure, especially the pressure of, you know, I thought I had to know all the answers. So if any if any of the students wanted to ask me anything about it, I had to know. And that was an insane amount of pressure uh, until I realized, you know, it's totally fine to just say, actually, I have no idea. Let me look it up for you or I'll email the professor. And then everything got a lot easier. Um, but uh, yeah, to me in my head at that point, job was like, oh, you have to like write emails and make presentations and have uh, conference calls and stuff. So it was such a wildly different way to look at it. Uh, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's hard work. It's just not what I thought a job would be like so that was also very interesting to see that it can be so different yeah it's kind of how you visualize and you imagine yourself at work isn't it and a bit yeah like, like, kind of like in an identity. office somewhere <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um fantastic so how did you find the transition um, from studying to entering like a professional work environment and is there anything in particular you wish you had known beforehand um, yeah, I think I learned quite quickly that um, the university and the and the study world was more structured. So, of course, you had like different courses you had to go through that someone planned out for you that would make sense and would logically build up on one another. And then, you know, the, the kind of things you had to learn were very specific. And sometimes the tests were also quite standardized uh, for some subjects more than others. And you always knew when you did something right or not, because yeah, you you passed a course or you don't, or you have a better grade or not. Uh, or yeah, from my background in data science, if you train a model with like 90% accuracy, that's a great model, you've done a great job. Um, whereas in the in the working world, um, you know, you could make the best solution ever, but if you don't market it in the right way, or if you don't know how to explain it to people who don't understand it or if it doesn't answer a direct business need from one of your clients, then it might as well be, you know, the worst solution ever. It's still useless, which was quite a big shock to me. I don't think I expected that there's all these other aspects they need to take into account that I don't think we at least focus so much on in school. That, uh, yeah, you have to really network with people and you have to really understand their problem and fix their problem rather than come up with something that you think is valuable but you know you don't double check that with them and you don't communicate with them so so much communication actually that goes on into into a technology industry even that you have to have so many people skills I need I, I think and so many soft skills um, so realizing that was quite quite different um, that you know sometimes it's not the most technical person in the room who's going to be the most successful at a technical job that was a big realization for me. 
Amazing. So yeah, I guess the big learning points for you were kind of how structured it is in academia versus, yeah. you know, you having to kind of manage your own workload, I guess. Exactly. In environment. Yeah, the workloads and also just the path, I think. Um, yeah, thinking you, you know, you start a bachelor and you do it for three or four years, depending on the country, and then you finished it. And then maybe you do a master another two years and then you could do a PhD. You know, it's like a pretty straightforward path um, that you can go on and you can just you know, go with that for quite a while. And, you know, by the end, you'll be well educated and you've done, you know, the best thing that you can do for your career. But it, when you just start working, you know, it could be, oh, if I stay in this role for 10 years or if I change roles every one year or if maybe I should go in this direction or that direction, you really have to define it for yourself and be in charge of where you want to take yourself. So like me quitting my master, I think was the first thing I did that kind of went against that predefined path and I was like okay no I think for myself at this point this direction is better and I think it took me a while to realize you can do that and you can just decide for yourself you know take that internship even if you have to quit another job or you know switch your position when you're not really excited about it anymore and and all these things Um, I when I was studying I didn't think I had an option to not just go with the predefined course and how you learn to then take control of your own career path I guess um and you mentioned there about um you kind of wish you'd known about projects having to have like a business need and sort of really being commercially aware and and thinking about Mm -hmm. the this business solutions that you're um you know you're producing if if a student or graduate is listening to that how do you think that they can prepare themselves for that that's a good question Um, I think reaching out to people and talking with them might sound like a very simple thing, but I remember when I was studying, I was terrified of anyone with a title, more or less. I was like, oh, they're so important. I couldn't possibly bother them. And I'm now realizing more and more that, you know, we're all people and you really can reach out to anyone. I started at some point just messaging people on LinkedIn, like the the CEO of this and that company, thinking, oh, they're never going to respond, but I have nothing to lose. So I would just ask, do you want to have a coffee? And then that helped a lot to kind of see um, what their jobs sound like. If you see someone with an interesting title and people like talking about themselves. So, you know, a lot of the times they'll, they'll also enjoy sharing their, their, their perspective, but also if you can bring something to them, that's even more valuable. So if you see someone from industry, maybe, you know, you have a unique perspective that you're studying, you know, what's the current um, things that are being taught in school for this particular subject uh, also good to always recognize you have something to bring as well. So then, uh, you know, when you reach out to someone saying, hey, I have this perspective and I want to know about yours, but let's exchange information. I think that also looks a lot better. Um, I would say try to do projects with people. So, and I mean projects rather than, you know, build a solution with people, uh, like the, a well-rounded project where you also have stakeholders and you also have to, to manage your time or do sprints or something like that. Um, I think at the time I thought, okay, that's not as important as working on my strictly engineering skills, but it is. So if you really have the opportunity to do that through a class or a group project, uh, I would try that out. And there's also so much content just online. If you, if you like, you know, you look up video or a course that is, a lot of them are free. I wouldn't necessarily pay for, for a course because there's so much cool information out there. Even if it's not, you know, a course as part of your program, like I said, you can take charge and think, okay, I want to learn more about project management or I want to learn about technical selling. 
you can find something online and then maybe you can even add it to your CV. Or if you don't, you still know that you're more prepared for that job. Amazing. That's such good advice. I, th- I think I saw something on your YouTube channel about that as well. You were recommending some of the Microsoft courses um, around um, cloud and, and data science. Yeah, exactly. There's so many free resources. And yeah, I talk about the Microsoft ones a lot because yeah, I work there and I, I'm familiar with them. But maybe also good to know that the ones that I do as an employee are literally the same ones that I would recommend and people can do from the outside. So we don't have any no private uh, training videos. Of course, we do go to boot camps sometimes. I'm not going to pretend we don't. But the on, all the online trainings that we do every year, we have required trainings to just go through and update our skills. And they're the same ones that you can find by just looking up Microsoft Learn. So if you want to be prepared for, for a job in the cloud, for instance, there's so many cloud competencies that you can learn by just going on the internet and uh, they have like all these gamification features where you get points for learning. So uh, you can definitely find it if you want to take the initiative to better yourself in a way that is not provided in another system. That's great. I, I didn't actually know that they provided all those free resources. That's really helpful. Yeah. What, what does a Microsoft bootcamp look like? I think of bootcamp and I just think of my exercise <laughs> class. <laughs> I wish. I, I, I wish we did something like that as well. I think what, when, I, when I started as a full-time person, um, they, uh, they sent us to like a one-week bootcamp in, uh, in the US, actually, at the mothership of Microsoft at the campus. And uh, yeah, we just had some whiteboarding sessions on how to design architecture and uh, had some presentations on different Azure products. And um, working together again as a team, I think they take every opportunity to put us to work together to present a business case. So they never really tell us, okay, this is an Azure product without following up with, uh, this is a fictitious client. It has this and that requirement. How would you solve their problem? So that's also where I learned that you always have to have that go hand in hand and not just learn the theory without knowing where to directly apply it. Sounds really intense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it helps that you're also traveling when you do it. Back in the day, at least, uh, I really do miss uh, those kind of excursions that are a lot of learning and struggling, but at the end of the day, you can still have dinner with your friends. So that was a good mix. Yeah, good. Uh, work hard and play hard. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And and what's a whiteboarding session? Is that literally where you're sort of solving a, a problem on the whiteboard altogether? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, because... Well, because we're architects, a lot of our work is surprisingly about creating architectures for for problems. So you basically have a whiteboard and you kind of put together all the different building blocks of a solution. So you have your storage here and that's how your data flows through the system and the API goes in here. And, you know, you would kind of design it in a visual way that really helps people understand what's happening uh, and also helps you keep things on a high level. So you don't have to get into, you know, we don't code so much. Uh, as we just talk about how different building blocks yeah, fit in and how would they um, match up your requirements and how could you, you know, you could do one thing with like 10 different products. Why would you choose this one over the other ones based on the specific case that we're talking about? And I really like doing that whiteboard exercise because it gets things um you know, moving. So rather than endlessly talking in circles, having that visual and walking someone through your whiteboarding process really helps, you know, go from zero to the complete solution in a way that's easy to follow. So if you can 
do a whiteboarding course, I would definitely recommend uh, that or just watch someone on YouTube. Basically, every like YouTube tutorial for math is kind of like a whiteboarding session where they just show you what they're writing and uh, it becomes a solution without even realizing it's been like 20 minutes. Fab. Thank you. That's really helpful. And you mentioned some other uh, technical terms there as well. Um, I think you said about agile. What's what's agile for someone that doesn't know? Or I might be pronouncing it wrong as well. <laughs> I think I said Azure, uh, like the, Azure. The, yeah, the, the cloud platform from Microsoft. So um, that's also a thing I learned after university. So of course I studied data science, but I think now a lot of companies do data science in the cloud. Uh, so instead of working on your own laptop, it kind of gets sent to this cloud of processing that's just a lot of databases that, you know, Microsoft manages or some other company manages. So a lot of the things that you would normally do, like networking and, and taking care of your operation system can be managed by a different entity like Microsoft Azure. And then you just have everything in a website and you do your coding in there and it gets sent to this super powerful engine without your laptop having to be so heavy that it breaks your back. Uh, I think that's kind of like the future of uh, of a lot of technologies and a lot of um, the data that companies use will be in the cloud. And yeah, Azure is one of them. Of course, Amazon has their own cloud. Google has their own cloud. A lot of companies that are smaller have their own clouds. Uh, but yeah, I mainly work with the, with the Azure cloud. Fabulous. Thank you. I'm learning later. <laughs> awesome. You also said about sprints. What was the sprint? Yeah, yeah so that is... Uh, um, a lot of, it's like a way that software engineers can, can go about their projects, not just software engineers, they now have it in a lot of different other environments as well. It does have to do with agile development, so maybe I did say that as well. Um, so it's something like Scrum can be a process to, to work in sprints. It's just a way of structuring your work so that instead of, you know, have a deadline two months from now, figure it out. It's like every week you sit together and you go over what everyone in the team has been doing and what you're going to do the next week and someone manages this project and keeps track of it, maybe in a digital system or by putting sticky notes on, on the wall somewhere. So you always know what you're doing, what you need to focus on for the upcoming sprint or period, which is usually like a week. So there's all these different techniques to, to structure workloads in, uh, in, in companies um, that, yeah, I don't know if we did that in academics either, but um, also a good thing to be aware of so that you know when you work for a software company, for example, how five developers are going to structure a project together and who's going to do what for each week. Fabulous. It's basically like a sort of project management. Yeah, exactly. It's a project management technique uh, and it's agile because every week you get the chance to reevaluate what's going to happen. But there's also some that really plan everything in advance and then you don't have any freedom to deviate from that. Um, but I think agile is a, a pretty common one these days. Amazing. Thank you. Um, so my last question is, oh, second to last question. <laughs> so you've spoken about events, about the importance of women in tech, as well as your own personal experience. How have you seen the landscape within diversity of the sector change in the last few years? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so indeed, I, I, I used to go to a lot of women in tech events, again, when traveling was a thing. Um, I really enjoyed going to those conferences, first of all, to see so many women that do technology in one place and presenting their projects and stuff was really inspiring. Um, 
And I also spoke at a few conferences as another one of those. Uh, I'll just try it out and see what happens. I just applied online, said, I'm a student. I do data science. I don't have any experience really, but I'm passionate about this topic. And then they said, oh, awesome. We actually don't have the perspective of a young person presenting. So why not? And they let me do it. And then when you've done one, you can reference it and then get another one and so on. So also a great learning to apply for whatever it is that you're not qualified for, or that you think you're not qualified for. Uh, I was also at the Women in Tech event that I first heard of the term imposter syndrome, when you always think you're, you know, you're worse off than you are, and you think you don't have the right experience, and you think that someone's going to find out that you're just pretending to know stuff until, you know, uh, and they'll, they'll catch you with it, which is a very common thing that especially women feel, but uh, that of course is not true. Uh, so I really like going to those events to, to learn from other people's perspective. Um, how it has changed in the past years, I think um, it really varies, first of all, because I, I'm originally from Romania, so I moved to the Netherlands like five or six years ago now. So when I think back six years ago, I'm not comparing the same country. I'm comparing where the Netherlands is at now with where my home country was at. So that's also not very a very fair uh, comparison, I would say. Uh, but I can think that, you know, I was one of the few girls in my class who was interested in programming. And then in my university, I think we were like 10 girls out of 100 uh, that were doing the data science program. And then in the honors program, again, it was the same thing. So over and over, uh, there were never as many girls as there were boys. If anything, I think I was the only woman in the room in so many sessions and settings and boot camps and, and you know, um, yeah, events, unless it was a women in tech event. And then, you, you know, you see all of them together. Um, so I think we are getting a little better. Um, that could also be my bias that now I'm, I'm working at Microsoft and I have to say they take it super seriously to, to make everyone aware of, uh, you know, the inclusivity aspect, the inclusion aspect, sorry, and, uh, and the awareness of, you know, trying to be, trying to make sure that we are trading everyone equally and we give everyone equal opportunities, which of course is not to say, you know, get more women in tech at all costs. I think I've seen a lot of backlash online that, um, people think that now that we are prioritizing women in tech, it means women get, um, you know, get ahead faster. I don't think that's the case uh, at all. Um, I think it's just the idea of if we encourage more women to join education in tech, like do a STEM subject, then they'll go to university and then they'll, you know, get that internship and then they'll get that job. And in the end, more of them will be considered for the senior roles as well but I don't think we have as many women here that are just trained and ready to, to join the workforce because it starts a lot earlier. So what I've learned from the past few years is instead of focusing on the women in STEM events and, and you know, um, ways to help in that way, I now focus more on girls in STEM and trying to get it as early as possible to show women and, and yeah, little girls, I guess, that you can just get into the subject and, you know, a data scientist looks like this as well. And you will get that opportunity to do these jobs as well, like 10 years from now when you're ready to enter the work field. So for example, for International Women's Day, we're hosting a girls in STEM event internally at Microsoft. And the whole week, there's like all these different events and sessions about parenting and about, you know, how to, use inclusive language and how to you know what kind of jokes can you make but you should still be able to make jokes and like all these kind of things that are very 
complex discussions and we're having them during our work hours, which I think sends the message that it is important. So if I look back at a few years ago, I don't think I talked about it as much and I don't think I've seen it be so much in the spotlight, but it could also be because of, you know, I found the place where they do it. Yeah, thank you. So it sounds like really what you're saying there is we need to get um, sort of younger girls involved in the sector and we're like school, school school-aged children really. Yeah, yeah, that's where it starts. If you want the situation to be better, you can't just all of a sudden get more women in tech if they haven't gone to the technical university and then the pool of candidates is just smaller, unfortunately. Um, so other than, you know, trying to encourage women all levels to, to join tech or to, you know, maybe do a career switch or start their careers in tech, I think it starts a lot earlier so that's what I'm focusing on now more than a few years ago when I were just wondering, oh, where's all the women? Uh, I think I have a better idea of why that is now. So I think working with, with students and yet why I wanted to do this podcast as well is that, um, that the earlier we get them, the, the better it's going to be. Sounds like you're doing some great work yourself as well, you know, with the YouTube um, channel and being involved in events at Microsoft as well that can help. So yeah, good on you for championing that Thank cause. You thank you I think it's a balance between you know talking about women in tech as as a you know quote-unquote thing and just being a woman and happening to be in tech or being in tech and happening to be a woman right and just letting that speak for itself as well um so that yeah it should be a normal thing right I don't want it to be a super special thing it's just like I'm a woman I do tech and maybe if people see it that's possible they'll do it as well Definitely agree. And particularly where you see like so many opportunities in this area. I mean, it's such a kind of a sought after skill, isn't it? Kind of data science and, and data analysis and software engineering. You know, we get employers coming to us all the time looking for students with those skills. So if yeah. women are ruling themselves out of that, you know, they're, they're ruling themselves out of like so many opportunities. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just a great field overall. It has a lot of potential to yeah for example in this situation we have now I think people working in tech have been less affected by you know everything that's been happening so I really think it's a great opportunity to work in this area and then yeah of course women should also get to do it as well then but everyone should get to do it absolutely okay so my final question is can you give us three skills that you think are necessary to succeed in this industry Right. Um, okay. So other than, of course, knowing your, your technical things, I would say having a focus area, like a specialty. Um, so a lot of jobs are looking for generalists as well. But in my opinion, it's good to have like one thing that is your thing. So I don't know if that's necessarily a skill, but just knowing what is your passion and what are you good at? And hopefully they're the same thing. And knowing that, you know, that's the thing that you're going for and keeping that as your North Star would be one thing. Uh, a good skill, I think I mentioned it earlier, is, you know, having the, the soft skill that goes around your, your technical expertise. If it's maybe project management or if it's technical selling, having something that's not directly, you know, a technical, like a programming language, but is something that can help you integrate in the team. So I, I would cheat and say that that's just one thing either project management or uh or uh, yeah technical uh selling and another thing I would say is yeah passion and ambition 
I think I talked about this when when I was trying to get my first job and I didn't have anything on my CV and I thought, oh, no one's going to hire me then. But a lot of what I see now from the other side of it, so I've been helping people uh, do hiring as well, is that they're looking for potential. So they're trying to assess your potential and what you can learn and being open to learning and passionate and ambitious about something. It's more important than being an expert at like 10 things as early as you can do it. So try to be open to learning, I would say. That was probably way more than three things, but I'm just going to leave it at that. It's okay, we'll let you off, particularly as you're our first guest. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining our podcast today and sharing your valuable insights with our audience. It's been so great to hear about your professional. Um, So yeah, big thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been a lot of fun. Big thank you to our audience for listening to our episode. Please do keep an eye out for more episodes, which will be released weekly on our audio platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>